This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emma Benner, and today you're listening to episode 102 with Pam of Edgar's Mission. Pam is the founder and director of Edgar's Mission, which is a not-for-profit farm sanctuary in Australia. Pam is a lifelong animal lover and started the sanctuary in 2003, starting with her first rescue animal, Edgar Allen Pig. From there, the sanctuary grew as Pam created outreach and education programs and continued to bring on more rescue animals to where they are now with over 400 rescue animals at a time. In this episode, Pam shares all about how Edgar's mission started and grew to where it is today, the education programs that they have in place, her love for animals, and so much more. If you love this episode or have loved any of the recent Illuminate podcast episodes, make sure to share about us on social media or leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. That is just a really helpful way for us to continue to grow the show and to reach more listeners with these incredible stories. All right. With that, enjoy my conversation with Pam. All right, today on the Illuminate Podcast, I am so excited to have Pam, the founder of Edgar's Missions, on the show. Hi, Emma, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm so excited to chat with you today about your organization that you are the founder of, Edgar's Mission. So can you explain what exactly that is? Edgar's Mission is a not-for-profit sanctuary for rescued farmed animals here in Lansfield, Victoria, Australia. I'd love to hear more about how many animals do you help, what type of animals, and all of that. We It goes up and down. Uh, so we, It was 416, but we took in two very beautiful young rams yesterday from our local pound. So it's gone up then. We have some rehoming this weekend. So it sits around just over 400 animals we have at the sanctuary uh, at any one time. And it started all way back in, in 2003 when I rescued a pig who uh, stole my heart and took me in the direction that I could possibly never, ever have imagined. Yeah, do you want to talk more about that pig, the story behind Edgar, the one that started it all, and um, how did you get connected, and and why did that lead you to start Edgar's mission? Um, yeah, absolutely. Look, for as long as I can remember, I have loved animals. They've captured my heart, my home, and, and even my bed as a small child growing up. Um, 
but we lived in a city and we didn't have much land so it was really restricted to cats and dogs my my love of animals and when I saw a picture of a, a pony I wanted a pony of my very own just a, a magical animal that you know, a little girl could climb on their back and go to places that only a little girl could ever imagine and my pleadings for a pony you know fell on deaf ears because we didn't have much money and I said a small backyard and my mum always said the worst thing you could say to Pam is you can't and it wasn't because I was a belligerent child or a, a naughty child so I just love to challenge you know that indefinable moment when you say to yourself no what if I try such and such so um I got my scooter my mum wouldn't even let me have a, a bicycle because they were way too dangerous and I got the tires took them off got mum's pantyhose and tied them to each end of the pantyhose and that was my saddle and I used to ride the kitchen stool around the house for hours and I think I drove my mum nuts not having any pantyhose and all the noise I made so she took me down to the local pony club and that's where my relationship with larger animals really began and, and it took off uh, beyond what I could have imagined I became quite a successful equestrian I was pursuing my, my dream with my horses and having these wonderful relationships with horses and rescuing cats and dogs and my mother and I actually set up a, a refuge for cats and dogs we'd take them from local pounds and rehome them and there was this little little um, uh, black spot in my life which the largest number of animals in human care are the farmed animals who've really become forgotten and in 2003 I was working with Animals Australia on a campaign called the Save Babe campaign which is looking at our flawed animal protection laws and I think most people in, in the country and anyway you know think that our society cares deeply about animals we've enshrined in that in our legislation even you know the protection of uh, 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 prevention of cruelty to animals act it says what we can and can't do to animals and I took great comfort growing up knowing that this piece of legislation exists but what I didn't realize when it came to the animals in human care that it wasn't the animal's ability to suffer or their desire to experience the world that dictated their care it was more about the intended use that we had of that animal how that animal looked and our familiarity with that animal that dictated the protections they were afforded and that really didn't seem very fair to me in 2003 our code of practice for pig farming was being reviewed this represented an enormous opportunity for the public to have input in the legislation and to say what we can and can't do to animals and this was such a great opportunity we were very gifted in australia at the time james cromwell was here and we thought wouldn't it be great to get james cromwell on board to create media attention and awareness about what happens to pigs because people so readily recognize james for his uh, role in the hit movie babe james couldn't do enough to help us great uh, media interest great and they needed a pig for a photo shoot not so great we didn't have one uh, but I did have a desire for a pig and that was where Edgar Allan Pig trotted into my world and it just really snowballed from there the photo shoot with James went so incredibly well that James wanted to do an action on the steps of our Parliament House here in, in Melbourne and he was going to walk up the steps with Edgar Allen next to him and demand a better deal for pigs and we all this is great but then I realized that I actually really have to familiarize this pig with walking on a lead and getting used to being people so down to the local park I went with my little doggy and my little pig people came from everywhere to look at Edgar and marvel at his unique brand of pigginess and they rubbed his tummy rolled on his side this lovely little joyful cry that pigs make and it was watching people's interaction Edgar that got me thinking the best ambassadors the very very best ambassadors for changing the way people think about the animals who are farmed for food and fiber are the very animals themselves you know I can speak to people's minds but Edgar so eloquently on his way into their heart reminding them that that's the best place the animal should be and that's really how the sanctuary started and what comes after that like how do you get uh, all of the land 
to you? Did you throw a lot of money in this to get it started? Or did all that publicity lead to great fundraising and great attention that really just spiraled naturally into starting the sanctuary? Well, I'd love to say it was the latter. That would have been the easy route, but it wasn't. It was really, um, and and at, at the time, you know, when, when Edgar started, like, you know, um, social media and the internet isn't what it is today. It was a very, very early infancy, and I, I'm very, very good looking after animals when it comes to technology. I'm not so good. And when people told me about you know, this, this thing called Facebook and social media, I thought, oh, that's never going to take off. Um, so I was really good at looking after the animals, and it was word of mouth really started in the first place, the work that we did. We got a little bit of media Attention, and there'd be some stories in, in the paper, and word got around that you know that I would um, rescue the animals and give them a safe sanctuary. I lived in the country at the time because I had had my horses and my equestrian career, so I had the land there to do it. Um, I was working a full time at the um, at, a, at a factory nearby, and um, that was really good. So that was where my um, my income was coming from, and that was really what was funding the sanctuary to start with. And that was that was that was great. Um, and it just sort of really grew and grew like like Edgar. It was very much a organic thing, and there was no roadmap for doing what I did. It was really really learning on the ground. So it was really my my hard earned savings that went into start the sanctuary uh, to start off with. And as we became more well known, we'd do outreach, and people would hear about us and want to support the work that we did which was really good. And so it just really, really grew and grew to where we are today. Well, I have to say for not being um, savvy with social media, that's actually how I stumbled upon um, Edgar's mission is your incredible social media. You have a huge following on all of the platforms. So you must have someone really special over there doing that. Well, so it's a great team, you know, today it used to be just me um, and the pig um, and then some, some volunteers started to help and then it became um, more and more um, people coming on board and helping us and we have a, have a really great team and everybody has different skills that come here. I still do the bulk of the writing for the stories of the animals and that just comes through the connections that I have with them um, and we have a great uh, photographer. We've got Kelly and Kyle that do a lot of photography for us um, and Kyle's really good at the ET. It works really well. Everybody has different skills and this melting pot comes together and this huge passion that we have for um, animals is, um, is really... Um, you know, coming to the fore and making us do what we do. Yeah, I mean, it's a really special area that a lot of people have a big passion and a big heart for animals. I myself grew up on a little hobby farm with goats and horses and rabbits and all of that. So when I first stumbled upon yours and saw some of the transformations that I know I saw one with like a sheep that came in and um, just the huge transformation of healing for that animal and kind of restoring its health is so easy almost to market. I mean, you guys do just a spectacular job. It's not easy to grow to that big of a following on social media, but it is easy to pull the heartstrings of people when it comes to animals. Um, I think it is, and I truly do believe in, in the goodness of the human heart and that we as a species are programmed to care uh, and um, that uh, when we actually get people to think about the choices that they make and how they impact upon animals, um, it, it really does, it causes life-changing experiences for the individual because I truly believe that we, we don't have the authority to tell people what to do. I've got no guarantee that if I do, that they, they'll actually do, do that. But when you can actually connect people with their heart, um, that, that's when the, those experiences will happen. Hey everyone, just a quick break here to thank Nutrafol for supporting this episode of the podcast. Did you know that 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair? 
If you're among them, know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver results. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Illuminate to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, there's free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, and use the promo code Illuminate. All right, back to the show. So what's the backstory of a lot of these animals? Where are they coming from? Is it kind of an abusive situation or neglect? Or what's a lot of this, the backstory of where you get these animals from? Because they come from all sorts of places. I know when I first started the sanctuary, and I thought, gosh, you know, where are they going to come from? And we were really one of the, the first sanctuaries to start in the country. But uh, once people start to know about you and the work that you do, it's it's lovely that there is an option for the animals. The um two little rams that I mentioned that came in yesterday. So they were um, found lost and abandoned in our local area. They ended up in the local pound. And from our local pound, it's actually just over the road from the abattoir. And in the past, that those animals would actually go direct to the abattoir. But now, you know, there's an option for those animals to find sanctuary. And I know the people that work um, in the council and the rangers that they're really, really heartened that these animals actually don't have to be led over the road to slaughter. There's actually happy outcome from So that's one of the sources that animals come to us from, from pounds when animals have been lost and abandoned uh, sometimes farmers will um, contact us about a, an animal that they've come into their care that they're particularly fond of and they don't want to see that animal um, slaughtered where the other animals are and it's, it's quite interesting with, with farmers when they'll make a connection with one animal I think it's really important to keep their hearts and minds open that these animals can have wonderful outcomes it's just the choices that we make um, uh, our lambing season in, in Australia is generally happens over our winter months and we get lots and lots of lambs uh, come in that are abandoned and lost. Their mothers may have passed away. They've been one of a twin that the mother um, wasn't able to care for. So lambing season sends a lot of animals our way as well. I know you talked a lot about the laws around farm animals in Australia, but what is the typical culture? Like, are there a lot of um, sanctuaries and animal shelters and humane societies and rescues and that sort of thing in Australia? Because I know here in the United States, I mean, we have typically in each county that you live in and each within each state, there's so many um animal shelters and sanctuaries that you can find that are rescuing and and restoring animals health so what's that like in australia well, originally, as I said, when I started, there, there really wasn't any. There was one that I knew of in, in Canberra, which is a, a state away from us, and they were a very small sanctuary, and they, they dealt mainly with, with birds. And um, Bede, who runs that sanctuary, was very much a mentor in the early days. Now there are so many sanctuaries in, in our country. Mm. It, it's really heartening to know that there are so many people out there that are, are doing rescues. We're not the, the situation that America is where you do have lots and lots of sanctuaries. But in Australia, there are more and more sanctuaries happening every day. And I, I learn learn of them, some that I, you know, I've never heard of. And we have a lot more sanctuaries. I think it's a lot easier now. There's so much information. And there's a, a great um, a website, uh, opensanctuary.org, and they have put in so much information 
there for people who are wanting to start a sanctuary. So if anyone is interested in starting a sanctuary or even looking to better care for rescued farm animals that they have, I really encourage them to have a look at opensanctuary.org because they have so much information there. I wish that had been about when I started that can really help guide people and mentor people in the right direction that sometimes is actually you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'd love to start a sanctuary, I'd love to do what you do, but I don't think people realise the enormous commitment that is involved and also the money that goes behind it. And sometimes we've had situations where sanctuaries have uh, had to shut um, and, and people have suffered mental health issues as a result of caring for that number because it is, isn't a personal toll on you as well. So you really do need to think about these things before you actually put out the shingle and say you're going to start a sanctuary. And where do you send, like, where do these animals go after you've brought them back to health and they're in a really healthy condition, are you rehoming them all? That, that's a really great question. When I started the sanctuary, you know, I was going to um, not take any donations. I was going to do all the work myself and I was never, ever going to rehome an animal. And then I woke up that how that is just not sustainable. You know, to um, you can say you're just going to have, you know, 20 animals or 30 animals and, and they're the ones that you're going to care for. And that's great. But for me, when I rescued Edgar, I, I very quickly realized that, you know, saving one animal, it's, it's noble, kind and good, particularly to that animal you've saved. But in terms of changing the world for the other animals who are never going to know kindness, that's not particularly helpful. So there's really two arms to what we do here. Edgar's mission there's the sanctuary side where the animals are rescued and there's the advocacy side to actually create awareness so the animals aren't in those situations where they need to be rescued on the terms of the sanctuary side what we do we do have a very active rehoming program where animals who are adoptable um, are adopted out. We have a, quite a criteria that people have to go through. Some people have actually said, oh, it's way too hard to adopt an animal from you. There's too many questions, but it's something we don't shy away from because these animals have come from terrible situations. We would rather miss out on a good home than send an animal to a bad home. We check in with all the adopters all the time and then there is always the, the option, although we don't like to think that the animals are just, you know, like lawnmowers and we can give them back or library books we return when we no longer want them, that the animals do stay with, with their um, new humans forever, but we will take the animals back if someone's circumstances change and they can no longer care for them. So there is that option as well. So the active uh, rehoming program really helps us stay at a sustainable level. You know, you think we've been going since 2003 and it's over 5,000 animals that we've rescued in that time to care for that amount of animals in, in the fashion that they should be cared for. It just isn't possible. Yeah, I did um, a marketing internship at an animal shelter uh, a couple of years ago, and it was so interesting to find out that how many animals, um, and those were just, I mean, dogs, cats, and rabbits, and how often those animals were adopted, and then a couple weeks or so later, they might be returned to the animal shelter, and it was super disheartening because it was almost like you couldn't get too excited when you rehomed them. So how often does that happen on your end? I mean, you make it sound like you have a more extensive process to adopt. So hopefully it's not happening as often, but what does that look like? Oh, very, very rare. And and when you was, was saying that story, my heart was going out to those animals um, because they form such strong emotional bonds with, with their human carries in that short time. And that certainly is not the situation here. You know, over the years, uh, maybe in a year, we might take one or two animals back. And it's generally after a period of time you know we really do our homework before the animals go to their forever home you know, there was um just trying to think the last time we did take an animal back and there was a, a tragic situation where the woman was involved in in a car accident and uh, she was never going to walk again and she'd adopted two pigs from us so so and she'd had the pigs for quite quite a 
period of time and those piggies came back to us because they were going to be cared for but rare is the time that we do have to take an animal back and I think that's to the credit of our program that we really do our homework um, with it that the animals are at those forever homes. So to make this sanctuary function so well with all those animals and obviously the marketing that goes into it and then this extensive research that goes into rehoming what is your specific role obviously you're the executive director and um, founder of the organization so what is your day-to-day role specifically what are you up to each day at the sanctuary it's it really varies nothing is carved in stone you know, at the moment we're uh, in a bit of period of growth so we've got some new sanctuary hands coming on board so i'm actually doing a lot of the training of those sanctuary hands coming on board and, and the day-to-day tasks i'm involved in as well uh, my passion is is with the animals i'm i'm not really an admin person or an item person I, I love to get out there with the animals so a lot of it is caring for the animals on a daily basis you know we start six or seven o'clock in the morning depending on the time of the year we we all meet the sanctuary team meet of a morning we discuss what we're going to do through the day everyone's assigned to their tasks uh, and I'll be involved in some of those tasks and then there'll be admin work um, during the day which I hate Uh, and then writing the stories I love to write the stories about the animals and then I'll do lots of research there may be a submission to council there may be a a factory farm going up somewhere they'll sort of be researching um, against that I do humane education with students as well so sometimes it's going out to school speaking to students or they'll come to the, the sanctuary here we have an advocacy team that that meet um, once a week and we work on campaigns. We're currently working on a Mother's Day campaign raising awareness about the the farmed animal mothers and how much they love their babies and the strong bonds they have. So that's something that we're working on at the moment. So we have a few different campaigns um, going out through the year. Then of an evening, there's some animal feeding that will be involved. And then the final part of the evening, if there's any um, animals that need, you know, being put to bed or special treatments, we've got some lambs at the moment that have uh, splints on. And so I'll be taking their splints off for the night, just checking their legs bedding everyone down say good night trying to catch tea in there sometime and then i did do some reading um the last part of the day because i love reading and i just think knowledge is just so powerful so reading takes a huge part of my world as well sounds like a dream sounds like the dream job and and life situation working with animals all day and um, just making such a big impact so can you talk more about those educational programs obviously that seems like the most important part to just ensure that there's awareness out there and there's education out there. So the animals are never put in this situation. So what do those programs that you put on look like? And then that's right. The educational programs are so important to this. So there's a soft educational component, which is our tours that we have at the sanctuary. I I no longer do the tours. We have sanctuary um, people who actually do our tours and we have lots of tours throughout the week. We probably have a couple of hundred people through the sanctuary each week and that's a lovely time. Our tours are all guided where people learn about the stories of the animals and why we do what we do, which is very empowering. People can take away as much or as little of that as they want. But the educational component is something that I am very passionate about. I've created Edgar's Mission as a place I would love to have come to to when I was a child to have my feelings about animals and the natural world validated not vanquished I remember growing up and a lot of the questions I had about you know the animals we eat and the animals that we care for and the animals that are experimented on and I was told well that's the way of the world that's just the way it is and you know you need to go along with that and I I did struggle with that for many years until you know I actually was able to align my ethics and my actions together and I was so much more comfortable with with the decision I made but as I mentioned earlier I don't think we've got the right to tell people what to do or not to do I I don't think that's life sustaining for those decisions that people make so the sanctuary is being created a place for for people to come 
to learn about those animals. And I spend a lot of time with the students doing a presentation of, of my journey from, from the animal-loving child as, as, as I was to the animal advocate who I are today and encouraging people to think about the choices that we make and how they impact upon others. And are they aligned with who we really are and those core values that we have of, of compassion and justice and nonviolence? Because a lot of the things that we, we do aren't aligned with those things and they impact terribly not only an, on, the, on animals but on people and the planet as well you know one of the things i talk about is you know what happens to the people who are doing these things to animals particularly the abattoir workers and there's been lots of studies recently and there's a lot more interest in in the work that's happening in that space about the psychological toll that is imposed upon people who are actually routinely killing animals on a daily basis you know you can't walk away from from that trauma and suffering and violence and leave it at the gate when you go home and that's terrible things that you know happening to people who work in those industries and i think we as a society need to think about what these people are going through just so that people can get food on their table you know a lot of people have no problem seeing how a carrot is grown and gets to their table but when they see the process that that a cow goes through it's quite horrific for the watcher and the doer and and of course the cow as well Mm -hmm. So do you encourage like a vegetarian or vegan diet? We encourage people to think about what's important to them. We have uh, literature available if people want to go down that path and if they want to, to do those things, I think that's very important. You know, we have two books out about um, vegan eating and that one of them has actually been uh, composed by chefs and the second one that just came out is a really um, a lovely one, the Kindness Community Cookbook. is actually been supplied by individuals throughout um, Australia and beyond who've put their recipes in there about cruelty-free living and it's so easy to do. I remember when I became a vegan over 30 years ago, I couldn't even pronounce the word. I was, I was a vegan until someone said, Pam, the word is actually vegan. I didn't even know how to pronounce the word, let alone the food to eat. Now, I remember I raced out and got tofu because that was what good vegans ate and it was disgusting because I was eating it raw. <laughs> there, was, there was just so little information out there. Today, it's so easy to go down to the local store, even in a country town like Lancefield here, our population is 1,203 and there's you know so many different uh, milks in there that don't involve cows and there's so many foods that uh, don't involve animals in a local supermarket and that's all been driven by consumer demand by actually consumers driving the change you know people often think oh we haven't got much power to do anything and people don't realize we have so much power there's a there's a lovely quote we have in our kindness trail is anyone who thinks that they're too small to make a difference has never been in bed with a mosquito and i think that's so true that we actually have the power to change these things by the simple choices that we make you know what we put in our supermarket market trolleys and what we leave on the supermarket shelves represents the hope that these animals lives can change for the better and driving that message home to people about thinking what you want what do you want the world to be like how, how do you want to live what sort of a world do you want to live for your children and making choices that reflect that then we'll get lasting change and that will be easier for the people undertaking those decisions because they won't be living according to Pam they'll be living according to their heart yeah, it's so interesting just how much has changed in the last five or 10 years. I've been a vegetarian basically my whole life. And um, I just think about even like eight years ago, going to a restaurant and the only vegetarian option was like getting the side salad or something at a lot of restaurants. It was just not much of an option. And now, yeah, you go to the grocery store and you have endless amount of options for vegan or vegetarian diets and then you go to a restaurant and there's just amazing meals now that don't contain meat or even other animal products so it's just so cool to see how much has changed over the recent years even 
And that is that is so exciting as well. And it's not just, you know, vegans and vegetarians that have changed that. You know, people who are eating meat are actually starting to explore um, other, other foods and other flavours as well, which is really, really exciting because they represent a bigger portion of the population population of those flexitarians and they're actually driving a lot of the change in that space and we have a huge huge interest in in industries looking at you know um alternatives to um animal-based foods which is really great you know some people refer to it as fake meat but it's actually not fake because it's real food it's, it's real food out there and that is really exciting how that is actually driving change there's so many opportunities you mentioned earlier about you, know, you have so many sanctuaries in the united states and more and more people now are you know studying sanctuaries in australia or even just having rescued farm animals you know this this big sea change people moving to country areas in in australia and they're adopting animals from sanctuaries like ours so they're getting a chance to meet the animals and their friends are getting a chance to meet those animals and seeing them not as the before of a ham sandwich but the pig is a, a sensitive and an intelligent and sensitive animal that really is worthy of our compassion and kindness and certainly not not the designed to be pork ham and bacon which we kind of thought that that was how it was meant to be but when you meet a pig that's certainly not how they want to be yeah it's amazing what you're doing and it's amazing all the education that you're putting into the world and helping animals and um, people right alongside them because animals sure have such a big impact on people what is that what are some of the transformations that you've seen um, with just people interacting with animals more and maybe going home with an animal that they've never interacted with before and having a change of heart or characteristics or anything. It's been incredible. Like some of the, the change have been absolutely profound. Some of them have been instantaneous. They've been on a tour and they've met a sheep and that's it. They're never going to eat them again. Um, there was a lady that came on our tour actually she was from, from the States and she bought one of our T-shirts with our quote on it, if we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others. This is one of my favourite stories. So she bought the T-shirt, if we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others. It's a lovely quote. She took it home and she was, she was a meat eater and then she went to wear it one day and she read the quote on the back and she was really uncomfortable because she, she couldn't wear it. And then, you know, she was thinking about the quote and thinking about animals and thinking about her ethics and aligning them and then she thought, well, that's it. Like I can't support that quote and still eat animals so she stopped eating animals and she sent us a letter and saying you know the day that she actually realized that she she could no longer eat animals then she could wear the t-shirt and that was just so so lovely how we, we really are sowing the seeds of kindness and that lady now will live that forever she, she will live that experience it's really it's really lovely you know we meet kids that come on the tours and these little little kids you know five six years old they say we don't need animals this is this is little children and the society now supports that decision you know we have generations of people i think you mentioned you you um, have, haven't eaten animals well that was unheard of when i when i grew up but now that that's happening and there's such a supportive culture out there and there's so much in our society now about mindfulness and there's so much about kindness and we we marry those two things together you know eking that out in our most natural thing is is to reflect that in the foods that we eat I love it yeah animals sure have such a power on so many people I I know I have been just all I've learned growing up on a hobby farm was one of the greatest things because I learned so much from the animals from every, each one of them I know like horses taught me so much responsibility and um and just kindness and, and staying calm and all of that. It's just incredible, the transformation that they can have. So to wrap it up here, um, I know you mentioned that you love to read. So what is the best or most recent book that you've read? 
Oh, um, a really interesting book called um, The Last Walk. It, it's um, it's a story um, a lady has written about her experience with her dog that was was um, elderly and was passing away, and the you know the ethical dilemma that um, she went through about making the ultimate decision to to have the animal euthanized. And it's probably one of the most uh, uh, profound things that we can actually do when we have animals in our life that you know we know that they won't live as long as us and when we do have to make those decisions to end their life it, it, it's an impost upon us to actually be there at the end for them it's a really interesting read and encourage anyone who has a, a an animal in their life to actually have a read of that book because it is quite quite profound and the experiences people go through with animals and we really have to be there for them well, I am adding that to my list. That sounds like a great book. And what is in another organization other than yours that you would like to illuminate and share about? Oh, I think Animals Australia has done such incredible work in the space um, for for animals, not just in Australia, but now they have an international um, arm of Animals International that they are doing work in, in countries throughout the world to working to end the live export of animals to being there in countries where um, animals have faced natural disasters or um, you know, human disasters as well with uh, with bomb pits running through countries. They have done so much work at Animals Australia, not just for farm animals, but they work for all animals across all interactions with humans, whether it's captive animals, whether it's wild animals or domestic animals are doing amazing work in that space and who or what is inspiring in your life right now edgar allen pig every day i think about that incredible pig who just wandered into my life and tugged me in the direction i could never have possibly imagined you know when i had the horses i always thought that i would i would ride horses and i would, I would die in the saddle as a 99 year old woman and and i really i remember towards the end of my equestrian career um, I was I was struggling with that because um, it was like I, I thought that was what I was meant to do, and I, was, I felt that there was you know something tugging at, at me, you know, at my heart to, to to get down off my horse and to really champion the cause of animals. And I realised that that was Edgar, and and people said, well, what, what was so magical about it? it was just him, just being his natural self. He had no idea that he was going to go for walks on a lead and do all those things that he did. It was just so natural for him. And it reminds us it really is, it's natural for us to be kind to animals. We've just become so disconnected with them that we've forgotten that. That's so special. And lastly, to close it out, what is your one message that you would like to send to the world? If we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others, why wouldn't we? All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation today. And a big thank you to Pam for coming on the show and sharing all about Edgar's mission. If you want to continue to follow along with all that they're doing, make sure to check out their website, edgarsmission.org.au. And you can also find them on Instagram and Facebook, both places they are at Edgar's Mission. Go give them a follow and continue to see all the incredible work that they are doing over there. And while you're over there, make sure to give the Illuminate Podcast a follow. We are at the Illuminate Podcast on Instagram and at Illuminate underscore pod on Twitter. And we are part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. You can find the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network on Instagram at Sandy Boy Productions. And make sure to check out all of the other podcasts in the Sadie Boy Productions Network. We have the All Have Another podcast, the Wise Ever and Yelling podcast, the Up and Running podcast, and the Urban Pharmacy podcast. So make sure to add all of those to your podcast queue. 
All right, that's all I have for you today. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pam and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.